it's always good to be here. It's always a, a joy. And, uh, you know, I spoke, I think, about two months ago. And um, I always like to update my life, but it's hard to update something that just happened eight weeks ago, nothing much. But there has been things, okay? Uh, Terry chose this theme for this uh, season. It's uh, sustaining, sustainable faith and is focusing on, on knowledge. And I was thinking about sustaining my life, you know, and all the things that are happening and all the different variations and all the aspects of how we sustain. Take, for instance, uh, with the drought in California, uh, my wife and I, for the last, I think it's about maybe two months, we are in the habit of when we take a shower, and you know, there's always, when you put the water, it's always really cold at the beginning. You gotta wait for the hot water to come in. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't like taking cold showers, okay? I get, a bucket of, I get a bucket, and I fill it up. Okay, it's not a lot of water, okay? But two showers a day, bucket of water, and then I have, I have my only pets are goldfish, okay? I gotta change the water, so I use it, and then I got, I got plants, okay? So I use the water, you save a gallon here, a gallon there, a, a day. It, it just, just helps out everyone. If you would all do it, you know, this world would be a better place, you know? <laughs> Uh, but that's sustaining in terms of recycling. You need to do that. Now, other things that I've done is sustaining in terms of extending. Uh, on Friday, I changed the, get this, the motor mount on my classic 19, uh, 2006 Ford Focus. And I know it's classic, okay? It's, 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 it's not your great Hall of Fame automobile, but it has 118,000 miles, and my goal is to get to 200,000 miles, but to get my Ford Folk 2006 Ford Focus to 200 miles, I have to repair it, maybe not daily, but it's at that point where every few months I gotta do something to it to make it go, okay? But I know that it's, it's gonna come to an end one day. I just know. So it's just extending. Sometimes we recycle, sometimes we extend. Now, I, I, if you were here two months ago, I said I was gonna wear this watermelon shirt that I was making. I, obviously, I'm not wearing a watermelon shirt. And the reason why is because uh, I've been in the gym the last two months and doing heavy duty uh, uh, weightlifting. And I've lost actually two inches off my waist and I decided that I wear a vertical striped shirt to ex <laughs> accentuate the cutness of the body, uh, uh, you know, and just, just, I don't know, just felt like being a little selfish, you know, for a while. I mean, you know, just, just, just part of the, the old self that's still hanging around, okay. Uh, next time I'll speak, I'll be all the fat Jeff, you know, but, but yeah, just for a little while, I'm, I'm the slim, I'm slimmer Jeff, okay. But I know that that's just to extend my life for, you know, I'm at the age where, you know, you got to do something, uh, preemptive strike, you know, uh, because your body is going to fail, okay? But there's a third different type of sustaining, which is different, and that's sustaining to develop. And that's a very different type. Last Friday, this Friday, I, I did my, uh, uh, the motor mount, the Friday before, about nine days ago, I was at Mission Springs, which is kind of around Mount Hermon, off 17, down in the South Bay. And I was addressing a leadership uh, retreat of, of uh, pastors and leaders from a church in Fremont called uh, Bridges, okay? A multicultural church with a lot of um, ministries and a church planning church, really good people. And so um, I was emailing uh, the pastors named Ron King and Ron emailed me. He said he thanked me for, for coming and uh, thanked me for my humble approach to ministry to the men. And I was thinking about that, you know, and I was thinking, well, that's, that's, a, that's, a nice, uh, that's a nice way of putting it. And I was saying to myself, am I, am I that? Now, it's very hard because if, if I said I'm humble, 
then you know I'm not humble. Because that's one of those things, you never say what you are, you know, because then that, that, that's a giveaway, you're not, okay? So I don't know, I don't know, okay? Maybe, maybe not, okay? But what I will say is that 20 years ago, he would never have described me that way. Because it's a work in progress, a sustaining not to keep the same. It's a sustaining not just to hold on, but a sustaining in terms of development and growing and the changing that I'm talking about. I've been a Christian since I was seven years old. I'm 58 and a half now. Uh, thus the vertical striped shirt. Uh, over 50 years. And through all the ups and downs of life, and I've had the, I prayed with some of you this weekend. And we all go up and down. I've been very blessed to know that um, through it all, the Lord has been very gracious to me. And then I've, I've learned quite a bit that I'm in a much better place than I was. How do we get from point A to point B or in terms of our faith to point Z? How do we not just extend or hang on but actually grow and develop in our faith in Jesus Christ? Okay, how do we do it? Where do we start? And I realize in, a, in an audience like this, we have people in all different stages of their Christian walk. Some of you, this is your first message, and you know, uh, and you say, who's this weird Asian man with the facial hair, you know, speaking to us, you know, you're not, you, you gotta, gotta get over that, you know, obstacle, you know. That, <laughs> and and it's, it's like, you know, what is this Jesus about, you know? Others have been, uh, veterans have been here a long time. Where do I begin? How do I keep going? The passage that I've chosen is a very famous passage in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Now, the book of Romans plays a very central part in the revelation of God to us. For the writer, Paul, puts in a more systematic fashion how this whole theological aspect of Christ plays in our lives. First in relationship to God and then applied to our daily life and a critical junction where he then moves it to applying to regular life is in chapter 12. What do we do with this great salvation that we have and this renewal and restoration we have in God through the cross? So here we have Romans 12, verses 1 to 3. I'm going to read it. It's in your program. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, <clears throat> I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now, what's interesting about this passage is in these three verses, it's a continuation of a thought and a progression of that thought. I says, what do you mean? It's a, it's a continuation of a thought, but a progression of that thought. Yeah, let me just show you something, some neat things about this passage. 
In verse 1, there's this term acceptable to God. The term acceptable. Now, in verse 2, that acceptability to God is expanded. So in verse 1, it's acceptable to God. But in verse 2, if you look at the end of verse 2, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It's actually embellished. It gets better. So you have the same theme, but you have the development of the theme that actually what is good before God is even better before God. So there's a progression in terms of its value and its worth and its end result. But more than just the repetition of the theme and the development of that theme, we also have different perspectives of how that theme is applied to the different subjects and persons in our lives. He said, what are you talking about? Look at verse 1. First, it's based upon God, the mercies of God. It begins with God. Then it's like, uh, uh, present your bodies. Then it goes from God to offering yourself, but specifically described as your body. It goes from the body to verse 2, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Body to mind. Then it goes back in 3, to yourself not in mind, okay, but in what the content of that mind thinking is because it goes from mind in verse 2 to verse 3. Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think. See this mind to think? It's actually the application. It's not just not something that you have in your, in, your, in your head that doesn't have application. What, what is transforming in your mind changes how you think and how you think in relationship to other people. It goes from God to yourself, your body to your mind, to your thinking, to, to other people. And it's like, it's, 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 it's a great progression. So how do we get there? This sermon has five points and then an illustration at the end to sort of uh, bring it together. Okay? So let's look at the very first point. The very first point is, based upon the observation, our life is a journey. Okay? And it's not a journey simply of extending life, okay? You extend life by exercising, eating well, having avenues of emotional release and things like that. That's how you extend life. It's not recycling life. It's a goal and destination in which there's a grand ending to it in our lives. And this is very important to understand. Whether you are a first time listening to a message, okay, and say, what does God want from me? Does he just want one-time commitment? No, he does not want one-time commitment. Because the whole aspect of getting to know God is not a moment, just a one-time moment, and then you go on, on your way with the rest of life. What is magnificent about God, and it's not just for someone who is listening to God for the first time, but for all of us who are on the journey, it is something that he is going to be with you for the rest of your days on earth, journeying and developing and with that comes all the cuts and bruises and the stumbles that come and all the glorious discoveries and the growing. It's a grand journey. It's the wonderful aspect of it. And I'm not saying that God cannot sometimes instantaneously lift burdens from our lives. For he does that. And that is the nature oftentimes of how prayer is answered and deliverance is experienced by us. But for every one of those times, there's another time that we are journeying through hills and valleys of life. And that's part of the process. You must see your life in the whole spectrum. 
from beginning to end. It's a journey. In Christ, our life is a journey. But there's a second point that I'm going to have them put on the screen. And it's that the journey is based upon a grand mercy. Pastor Terry talked as he introduced me that this message is really through the lens of mercy. And I really believe so. Because within this text, you look at verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Oftentimes, we look at a passage like this. This is a very famous passage. That we focus on what we need to do to present our bodies a living sacrifice. So I'll tell you all the things you need to do. No. I want to take a step back. And I said, before you even think about what you need to do, you need to understand what's the foundation of what we do. It is based upon the mercies of God. Now, what is very interesting is that theologically, there are two very, very important terms that recur in the New Testament. One is grace, and the other is mercy. Grace is going to be found in verse 3, for by the grace that is given to me. So what in the world is grace? Grace is basically the benevolence of God, a benevolence that you do not deserve. That is the final understanding at the height of your understanding of God. The greatness and the benevolence and the goodness of God and the kindness of God. Something that you never deserve. Now mercy is a little different. It's related to grace, but it's a little different. Grace is either the impending suffering that you are going to receive because you are guilty. It's getting what you deserve, actually. It's kind of the flip side of grace. But the removal of that but it's more than that. It's not just what you receive because you've, you've been a bad boy, okay? It's also sometimes what you are enduring, not because you had anything to do with it. You just need help. You just need to be people piling off of you. And you didn't ask for it. So it comes in different varieties. But what's really interesting, that um, this journey is based upon this understanding of mercy. It's very interesting. Mercy. Oftentimes we think that mercy is good for when we become a Christian. But when, as we grow as a Christian, it's more of a, of a dedication and we see as obedience and we need to fear God. And all these terms of fearing God are good when it's understood in its proper balance with these other terms. But I tell you this. If you've been a Christian for a long time, I don't know what long means. It's all relative anyway. Do you still see God as merciful in your life? It's very interesting. Because that's what this whole journey is bound upon. Mercy of God. Okay. Third point, because I said it's going to be five points, and I'm going to go to an illustration at the end. The journey starts by our willingness to offer a messed up me to the development of God. Let me read you this passage again. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. And mercy is like impending doom. It could be what we deserve or some suffering we're, we're experiencing now. But we need God to, to let go of the piling on. Based upon that, we present our bodies. Based upon we need mercy, we present 
ourselves a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, to present to God based upon the mercy of God. Now, th th this is really interesting because too often when we grow in Christ, oftentimes the merciful God is exchanged for a dutiful me. A merciful God is exchanged to a dutiful me. Or a very, very demanding God. It's almost a bait and switch type of thing. You know, you're, you all raise your hand for Jesus, you need your sins forgiven. Okay, now and then you, okay, now I gotta do all this stuff for Jesus. You know, it's almost a bait and switch type of thing. But Paul doesn't write it that way. You will always understand the mercy of God. And the first step you do is to offer yourself based upon this understanding of mercy before God. Now, how does that work? Now, sometimes people say, well, how, how do I get going anyway? I say, well, you know, start offering to God the things that you are good at. It's very, very important because God has developed you in life that you have things that are very, very valuable to other people, okay? He said, well, I don't have anything that's valuable. You know, I have very low, poor self-esteem, you know, type of thing. I'll tell you something about God, okay? If he is looking for perfect people to use, he would not use any of us. Because it is not based upon the perfection of God that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. It is not that you have taken enough Bible study and passed enough discipleship manuals so that you are now qualified to, to serve God. It is based upon and will always be based upon a mercy of God because even when you really understand who you are, even your strengths are kind of messed up. Okay? Because you begin to see yourself in light of who you are. And for those who think that they have nothing to offer God, you need to understand something about God. It is all by mercy. For this world would say, you know, you don't have the qualities we want in this job. We're not going to hire you. You know what God says? I hire everyone. Because it's based upon the mercy that I give to people. Not based upon your qualification or how good you are. That's a big mind changer of things. We do offer to God what we are good at. But it is all a mercy. But it is more than that. It is to understand that this mercy and this offering of ourselves is not just what we are good at. It is also offering to God what we are not good at. Or dirty laundry. The miserable part of me. Because it is the whole body experience. It is just not simply serving God from your strength. It is offering your body to God. The old phrase, lock, stock, and barrel. Who I am. With all that is good and all that is bad based upon your mercy 
not on your perfection, to begin to change me because it's always based upon your benevolence. Oftentimes people serve just about your strength. And I kind of mentioned that. And I guarantee that if you grow in Christ, only offering your strength to him, in a number of years, you will grow very weary and you cannot sustain your joy in Christ because you've hidden your laundry from him. It is the whole self, good and bad. It's very different. Counterintuitive than what the world, how we choose people or hire people. Because in, in this world, we hire people to meet a goal. In Christ, we are his to transform a soul. It's very different. We get to point four goes like this. The journey continues through the process of renewing our minds. And I alluded to this at the beginning where it goes from the body into the mind and the mind into how you think of other people. It's very interesting, self, body, mind, thinking, self, self, others. It is to change you. I'll read you this passage in verse two. Do not be conformed to this world. Our faith is very revolutionary and very radical. Not just radical in what we do, but we are radical by how we feel and think, by the transforming, by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the ultimate goal, from acceptable to good, acceptable and perfect. It's almost like a hat trick, you know, adding on synonyms to emphasize the end result that is uh, desired by God in our lives. Now, this whole renewing process is very interesting. I think of renewal, I think of DMV, you know? I think in the, my, my vision of motor, apartment motor vehicles, I'm thinking about the, the check I ride for every car, you know? And you know, you get a new car, that first, it's really, high. registry is really high, you know? God bless the used car, you know? It just gets lower and lower and lower, and, and, and you know, is it that type of renewal? Well, it's not quite, because this term renewal doesn't have built in how regular it is. But it talks about the end process and what it needs, that our, how we think and how we feel and how we process needs to change from the default mode that this world, how it thinks, and how they uh, uh, feel and operate in this world. To transform the soul, the heart, the mind. It begins with the mercy of God continues to step before God and say, take me, all the talents that you can use to help other people, all the mess within me, okay? And then the transformation process, getting to your head. Because it might begin with time and energy and commitment, but it will end with how you think and feel and process. The final point, the journey transforms how we see and value people. Now, this is an important fifth point. I want to go to the points in pretty rapid order. Let me read verse 2 again. And do not be conformed to this world 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. Now, sometimes people say, oh, the will of God. Oh, we renew our minds so we know what to do. That's what the will of God is, so we know what to do. Okay? We memorize, we know how to interpret Scripture. Yeah, the will of God has to do with what we do, but it's just not the focus of Romans 12, verse 1 to 3. But that's what it says here, doesn't it? That we transform our minds so that we may prove the will of God. We know what to do. No, no, no. Because you are missing the obvious description of what the will of God is. And that's found in verse 3. For through, and I'm going to read verse 3 now. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think. A continuation of mind to think. Think more highly of yourself than he ought to. The transformation of the mind is not simply that you know how to commune with God, which will be a great fringe benefit. You will learn how to pray. It is not simply that you will study the word, and that's a great fringe benefit. You will know what the word of God is in revelation, in, 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 in his revealed word to us. It is that you will begin to have the mind of Christ within you. And if there's a marker, if there is a milestone that you can measure whether you are on the right path, it is this unusual, very counterintuitive development that the more you give yourself up to God and the more you do for God, the less you are filled up with yourself and the more you realize that you are no better than any other soul in this world this is so counterintuitive because we live in America and in America there's a principle you are what you do that's how we value people. That's how you get paid. That's your worth. That's why some people get paid more, okay? That's why people get more raises. They just do better, okay, than us. That's how the world is. So that if you succeed, it, it, it is by default in America, you ought to think more highly of yourself because you're better than other people. That's how it works, isn't it? That's how you get a raise, isn't it? because you're better than other people. This is the counterintuitive aspect about Christ. As you grow and accomplish things and transform, the opposite occurs. You realize at the end of the day, with all that you've done, your worth of a soul is not worth any more than someone who has not accomplished a quarter of what you've accomplished. And the more you do in the right path of this journey, the more you realize this. Because you begin to have the mind of Christ who gave his life for all of us who had this mindset. You think Jesus, oh, with every sermon I give, the Sermon on the Mount, with every miracle, Jesus is better, you know. Jesus is better than all you people, you know. Jesus doesn't need to die. You need to die for Jesus because Jesus is so wonderful for all that he's done for you. Kiss my feet, you know. Jesus is wonderful. You're nothing. You know, that's the opposite from the truth. 
for all that Jesus accomplished, perfect lamb of God, lamb being the perfect sacrifice. He empties himself for us. And that is the journey we are on. And the marker that defines whether we are on this journey based upon mercy, getting into our souls and into our mind and into our thinking, that when we look at a person who we say doesn't deserve an ounce of my mercy because I'm better than they, and say, I give my mercy to you because I have been the recipient of that. And though I've no, never been always mindful of that, in my journey I have learned that the more that I do for Christ comes with it this internal development that the more I do, the more I see myself for who I am. And the more gentler and gracious person I turn out to be. This week was an interesting week. For many things happen in this world, ongoing conflicts as Pastor Terry mentioned, Ukraine, Russia, Middle East, Hong Kong, Ebola virus, Happy things like the, the Giants going to the World Series. Uh, very happy things. But there was something that happened on Wednesday that was, in my world, very ground-shaking. Because on Wednesday, one of the most prominent pastors in the United States resigned from his church. And some of you know his name. His name's Mark Driscoll. He pastored Mars Hill in Seattle, Washington. And I said, well, for some of you who do not know Mars, uh, who Mark Driscoll is, Mark Driscoll started pastoring when he was 25 years old. Pastored this church for 18 years. Was the preeminent leader of what we call the emergent church, the young generation, 20, 30-year-olds. Had a phenomenal following. His church gathered 15,000 people every week to worship. He was in five states, and he does that through video telecasts. 15 locations, five states. He's written over probably anywhere from a half a dozen to a dozen different books. Wildly known. Matter of fact, when the Seattle Seahawks, the dreaded Seahawks, won the, uh, the, the Super Bowl, he interviewed five of the Seahawks, and they'd all gladly be interviewed by Mark Driscoll because he is the man in in Seattle, and they all know he's the man. Well, six weeks ago, he, because of conflict amongst the leadership, he took a leave of absence to get the existing leadership to figure out what's going on. And this is what the church findings were, and it's all common knowledge. It's in the New York Times, it's in CNN, it's in, you know, it's a Huffington Post, okay, Yahoo, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's there, you know. This is what the church concluded. We concluded that Pastor Mark has at times been guilty of arrogance, responding to conflict with a quick temper and harsh speech, and leading the staff and elders in a domineering manner 
While we believe Mark needs to continue to address these areas in his life and leadership, we do not believe him to be disqualified from pastoral ministry. Pastor Mark has never been charged with any immorality, illegality, or heresy. Most of his charges involved attitudes and behaviors reflected by a domineering style of leadership. They pretty much hit it right on the head. There's nothing he did wrong legally, morally, no law he broke. But they mentioned something about how we dealt with people behind the closed doors. And it was sometimes brutal. Now, in modern times, in current times, there's probably not been a young pastor that had more influence in a, in, in, in a dramatic way in the church than Mark Driscoll. He was brash. He was known as the cussing pastor, okay, because he, he'd be in your face. He had a good influence. But there's something, and I do not want to pile on on this. All I'd say is I see what happened, and when this report was given, he promptly resigned from his church. That what occurred in his life in ministry is something that we can easily fall into. You know how we fall into it? When we think that our ministry in Jesus and our growth in Jesus is all about the deed, about the action, about growing numbers or influence. Because if that is what ministry is and not what God wants, then you basically transfer the measures of secular companies in this world and you bring them over to the church because that's what makes successful companies, people who can grow and, 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 and make your stock worth more. But if you realize, based upon Romans 12, verse 1 to 3, that the development of God, though he will use your positive giftedness and your talent to help serve other people, is not the end. It is not the goal. It is not the destination of your journey. For the destination of your journey isn't that you have the most people in your church. The destination of our journey in Christ, though we may lead many people to Jesus, is that we become Christ-like and we have the mind of God and we understand people through the lens of Jesus and we become more merciful to people and more gracious because at the end of the day, if you are on the proper journey and didn't divert the more you give yourself to Christ, the more you will see God do marvelous things in your life. And the more you will be convinced that it is a pure mercy and it is a magnificent grace. For I am no better than anybody. That is so counterintuitive. For that is what Christ has called us. To serve him with all we have and to have the mind of Christ. Who gave himself even to the point of death and death on the cross. 
because at the end, I could always preach. When I was in my 20s, I could preach. It's this and this and how I view you. That is the most important in the mind of God, in the heart of my master, because that's what made his heart beat. Allow me to pray for you. We will receive the offering after the prayer and then a final song. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for these, my friends. Whatever journey they are on, they're new to the church. Make them understand that it is always upon a mercy and grace. Perhaps they want to commit to Christ. Allow them to commit wholeheartedly with themselves to be transformed. For those who have been serving here and have been journeying with you for a while, allow us to offer our dirty linen for some divine dry cleaning. And not just to serve from our strength. If we are result-oriented people and we think ourselves better than others, Give us the mind of Christ, mercy and grace, for we are no better. We pray this in Jesus' name.